ました Sure you want the rest of it? Dirty Harry Miller Dirty Harry Welcome back to Dirty Harry Minute, the only podcast in the world to review every minute of that 1971 classic Dirty Harry. I'm one of your hosts, John, and I'm joined with three recurring guests, Alana. Hello. Anavab. Hello. Alice. Yes, hello. And our guest all the way from Sydney over the interwebs, Tom Glasson. Hi, how are you? Very good. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We are reviewing today Minute 76. The minute begins with Scorpio limping down steps and ends with a man dressed in black giving Scorpio one big punch. What did you think of this minute, Tom? I mean, look, if, you, if you'd asked me to, to pick just one minute of the film to review, I probably would have picked this one anyway. It's, it's the best minute, ah. so I'm pretty privileged. Thank you very much for, <laughs> for selecting this one. What stands out, what stands out most? Well, I mean, the very beginning, as you say, it begins with him walking into this abandoned mill or something. And the thing that struck me straight away is, oh, it's morning now. Um, Because the very last thing we saw was uh, a late night scene, strip clubs, uh, and then it just snap cuts and he's still in the same outfit, still looking over his shoulder. So one can only presume either it's a terrible uh, continuity error or it's scripted. And that's hilarious because he's just been out running all night hoping that uh, that Harry isn't behind him. <laughs> I, like, I've been to San Francisco. It's like, it's a big city. And I suppose to get from the strip clubs to wherever this is might take a little while. Um, but you just got to be sure. I mean, that's what happens right after right after he arrives is that the, the character known as Brute, I think, in the screenplay says, were you followed? So, you know, obviously it was a big thing that they had discussed before he gets there. Tom, is he credited as Brute Izzy on IMDb? Well, well, no. See, this is the thing. I mean, I'm sure you've discussed in the prior 75 minutes or so that the, the cast itself is about 12 long on the credits. Um, yeah. Whereas on IMDb, it's about 150 uncredited. Uh, and he, there's actually some interesting debate on the internet as to who this guy is because he's uncredited and there's a few names. Um, and there's one called, and this, this guy's character, as best I can uh, find it, is a big black guy and he's played by Raymond Johnson. <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, I believe in the script he's actually called The Brute uh, and the is brute. described as an enormous black man. He looks a little like Curtis Mayfield, but <laughs> I, am ve- I am very white. Do you think the Gestapo black, is it supposed to evoke the Black Panthers Anavab or is that a tenuous link I'm trying to draw from it? Well, I mean, the outfit, he's, he's all in black in addition to being a black man. Uh, and he's got the one glove on at the time, um, which I presume was to do with, uh, you know, fingerprints or something like that. But then it, it kind of begs the question as he leads him through the mill, is this his workshop? Because he kind of treats everything with a, a touch of delicacy and, you know, he shuts the door behind them and, and says, make yourself at home and so on. He's got some furniture there ready to go. So I don't actually know if this is where this guy lives and, and operates or if he just was very well prepared, like he's a one-stop shop for fake beatings um, but he also, and that was the other thing is you talk about his outfit. He's got these really quite nice black leather and I would presume somewhat expensive gloves. 
but then his belt is done up just with a piece of string. So I don't know if they were going for hobo or if that's just a fashion thing. I think he's got a vibe of um, the the guy from The Matrix that uh, Lawrence Fishburne plays in The Matrix. That kind of uh, uh, hero. Uh, yeah, no, not near, um, the the uh, Morpheus. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, certainly he's well spoken, and you know, he's wearing his nice spectacles, so you know he's a thinking man's bash basher. Well, Tom, in an old movie, this this would be like a leg breaker that the mafia would have, or like in a film noir, someone roughed up. Do you think he maybe Alice could be from like a dominatrix for like part of San Francisco? Is there an SMN part to this? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't it, think it so. It's a number of questions to how this actually came about because this is, I mean, we're, we're 20, 25 years pre the internet here. So w- where do you go when you're being tailed and can't really leave too many breadcrumbs to find a guy whose job it is to beat you up? Like you couldn't put a classified in because you'd have to be so coy with the messaging that, you know, that the police wouldn't go, oh, it looks like Callahan. Oh, no, wait. There's a there's a very obvious ad here. These, these you know, someone's seeking to get it done. So I, I just, I really wonder. I actually went back and watched the preceding scenes in the strip clubs just to see if there was a snapshot of them, you know, contracting or something. But no, I have no idea how you bring this about. I feel like he's like clearly a professional and he's very focused on his work, which is indicated by the fact that, you know, he, even though he's holding up his pants with a, a piece of string, his equipment, which is to say the gloves, are high class. Yeah. He's in this stingy place, but he's treating it with, like, delicacy and respect. He's got – he's the best at what he does, I reckon. It's to send us in the wrong direction, I think. We, we you know, there's a punchline coming at the end, which is an actual punch, I guess, but we, he doesn't <laughs> want us to, to, to guess too quickly about what's going to happen in the scene, so – it, it serves it serves to kind of build attention in that way. The whole thing is structured in this kind of reversey way in that he hands over the money first. The man counts the money and says, are you sure you want $200 worth? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's backwards. And they do the deal and then we find out what the deal is also at the end. Yeah, it's clever in that sense. You're definitely sort of compelled to wonder what's going on here. Like, is this a sexual tryst? Um, I thought he was going to go buy weaponry. That's That was my first thought as he was in there but I was thinking I guess $200 could buy you you know a handgun or something yeah but it seems that initially maybe like drugs because $200 worth he's surprised because that's a lot for him which makes me wonder what the exchange rate on a punch is trivia for you what do you think adjusted for inflation $200 in 1972 would set you back now I guess it's maybe five is it five or six hundred dollars now yeah Yeah. well guys remember that it's at least it's at least ten new pants for Harry because uh, he quoted fifteen ninety nine. And also, I've, I've wondered that you know any any time somebody's conducting their business in an abandoned warehouse, and their first question to you is, "Were you followed?" You know, whatever he's peddling is perhaps not entirely legal. No, definitely. <laughs> Whether it's violence or narcotics, or whatever it is, and he's got gloves on, so. You know that whatever he's, he's he's going to be selling you is probably on him. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. if it's it could be fake currency, it could be narcotics. It turns out it's it's just it's just it's violence. Violence. But it's not. I mean, that's the thing. As you say, he's a professional. He's the best at what he does because when he, when he says you want the full two hundred dollars worth, that implies he has some sort of payment scale that you can get. Yeah. You know. <laughs> like a weekend special or a $50 beating, like 200 is obviously like the premium package here. Yeah, no, no tongue, but everything else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And by the way, it's, it's, it's almost $1,300 by today's standards. So that's not a cheap bashing. I'll just bring up the Mad Magazine take on this. It had, beat me up, freaky. It's not my idea. It's the producers. They figure the movie hasn't had any violence the past seven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, the, the way, it was quite stylized violence too. The, the, that very first punch comes and it's a bit of a surprise, but as the punch happens, it snap cuts just for a single frame of Scorpio's face, um, kind of reacting to the punch, which is a device that's been used quite a lot in movies since then. Like if you actually think in Terminator 2, I don't know how familiar you are with that one, but just as um, uh, Sarah Connor kind of escapes from her prison cell and she scones one of the prison guards with a little baton, there's this flash of white. And in Casino Royale in the opening scene, um, when he executes that guy, there's a snap frame, just a single shot of the, the victim's family. Um, so it's a device, it's almost a subliminal messaging thing. And here the subliminal message was Scorpio's in pain. So it's not really that subtle. It's also one, you know, one of the great things about this kind of writing, when the guy who's, you know, the guy who's going to provide the service says nothing yeah. and uh, a character hands over a lot of cash. Silence is consent. <laughs> exactly. It, it allows for the audience, disturbed as we are, to think the worst thing is going to happen, right? Like a punch almost seems like a sigh of relief. <laughs> like... <laughs> You think, oh, is this going to be violent? Is this going to be sexual? Is he going to chop his hands up? You know, like, you know, we've seen Seven and we've seen Usual Suspect. And you think, oh, God, he's going to put his head on a spike. Like, yeah. You know, like the human mind goes to the worst place. It does. But then I think we're surprised by how bad it gets, because when we discover that Scorpio has has, has paid for mm. this particular mm. service, then that puts him in a whole category of villain we weren't considering at all. And then ultimately goes to elevate Dirty Harry's importance and his status, because we, we, we really yeah. underestimated the threat that was, you know... A, a yeah, if a man's willing to do this to himself, what is he willing to do to someone else? Yeah. That he's, he's clearly... Have you heard the queer theory reading of this, Tom? That previously when Scorpio was tortured by Harry, obviously the torture wasn't enough for him, so now he's paying a man to give him a, to give him a real going over for satisfaction. I mean, I, I, I've not heard that, but as I was telling my wife about this scene, that was the very first place she went to the, the series um, The Sinner. And... Um, Bill Pullman's character, you know, sort of pays for a very similar service. And she said that it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise her at all that there was this pseudo-sexual thing going on here. And the reason that he's put on this floral, florid tie is because in order to be submissively beaten, he has to assume a feminine role. He has to make himself a girl to be beaten up. The only way he's... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the tie, though, because that, that, that struck me as a bit... Bit bizarre when when he's there and he says, um, "Take it easy, just relax." And then he ties the the tie up. Like at the end of a busy day, the last thing I do to relax is make my tie neater and tighter around my neck. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's probably a, a nod towards the professionalism of this beta, the character that he wants everything prim and proper and straightforward. Uh, so he wants him looking his best. <laughs> I don't beat up tireless chumps. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe he's put this tie on, right? So maybe it's like no shoes, no tie, no service. <laughs> well, I did notice actually upon re rewatching it that um, that Brute himself actually has a nice little kind of cravat thing going on that I, I missed on, on the mm. first viewing. Yeah, it's a very it's a very business like exchange. <laughs> what do we make of Scorpio's belt? Because they definitely zoom in on it in that 
previous scene, I, I apologize if you discussed it in the school children playground scene, but is it, is it symbolic? I don't have a Robert Langdon iconography <laughs> kind of thing. They made fun of me, Tom, because I hadn't seen the, I hadn't noticed the buckle uh, in the previous episode. Uh, so yeah, what's, what's your theory on it? I couldn't quite make it out. I was wondering if, I mean, it, it almost looked like when I tried to do soldering in prep school um, and get little bits of that, I don't remember what it is that you sold. I guess it's soldering iron or something. And everyone would do these beautiful works of art. And mine, mine ended up looking more like that. Like if I tried to do the peace sign, it would end up looking like his belt buckle. I think you need to check the diagnostic manual on yourself, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, some people have, inter- uh, have said it may be the unit circle that the Zodiac Killer had, or it's a distorted anarchy symbol as well as a police symbol. Oh, yeah. But um, it's, more, it's more about symbols, Anavab. This movie has empty badges, empty Christianity, the cross, no one gets saved, Jesus saves, no one's saved, and Harry doesn't believe in the badge. Just these symbols we carry around to give our idea of justice or pleasure, warp pleasure, uh, meaning. Loads of allegory, yeah. Um, but also, I think Tom brought this up, and I think it's very relevant that in the post-internet era, this entire transaction would happen on WhatsApp yeah. or on the dark web or something. You know, like they'd sort out the negotiation, the pricing, um, and you know, just I have to bring up a cultural thing. As an Indian person, I find it really offensive that the first price got agreed on without any haggling. No haggling at all. Absolutely. And then he, and not only that, he offers him multiple times, like a reduced rate. He's like, are you sure you want the 200? Like that's the worst businessman in history. (laughs) And he's doing everything the wrong way. Like to get money out of someone in almost every filmic context, you beat them up. Like, where's my money? Where's my money? And here he's like, well, I've got the money. Uh, I'm kind of very reluctantly going to hit you now and offer you some money back. (laughs) But you're right, like in the, in the modern age, and again, this is San Francisco, like this is Silicon Valley, this is the dot-com boom, like this would be a, a kind of Uber service by now, you'd be, there'd be multiple 100%. different startups competing for like who could beat you up the best and most plausibly for, for kind of like police brutality purposes, there's probably other reasons. And then you'd rate him afterwards, like how good was my beating? Yeah, that's very valid point. Yeah, I felt it kind of um, uh, like he's he, he's a bit surprised, the brute, that he's been asked to do this and so much. He's not used to be a client who 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 wants so much punishment. Uh, so I guess it kind of because uh, because he he seems like a serious enough character. So so if 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 our brute is surprised by how much punishment the guy wants you know we're in we're in dangerous territory yeah this man is a professional beater and this guy's coming at the top of his game asking for however many punches two hundred dollars will buy you yeah anavab this um podcast we have the power to create canon do you want to give the brute a name what do you reckon bruce's name is the brute's name is bruce clarence we have the opportunity to give him a name Montague. Montague. Uh. I don't think that would be, you know, he'd have a professional working name, right? So I think he'd have a regal, so it, this could just be my obsession with <laughs> colonized names, but it, I think he'd have a regal name yes. like Norris. Clarence. Clarence, yeah, Montague. Also, I think I think you both brought this up, which is a very valid point. I don't think he's done the 200 dollar worth beating in a while. Yeah, I don't think anyone's asked him in a while. I think... I think he smiles for a bit to see, do I still have it to do the $200 one? Yeah. He's sort of excited from an artistic perspective. Like, oh, I don't want to bleed into the next minute because I guess the beating carries over. 
Are we holding discussion of the, the subsequent punches? Yes. Yeah, that's next minute's jurisdiction, Tom. <laughs> All right, so we'll just work off that first punch. Then I think you're absolutely right. There's a real reticence on that first hit because he doesn't throw... I mean, that's the thing. When you're coming back into a sport for the first time, you know, you don't want to throw your back out. He really only punches from the, the, the elbow. Like, there's no shoulder, there's no hip turn or hip flex. Um, it's a bit of a, a little bitch push, to be honest. Now, in the comedy world, you guys, do you use tortuous, tenuous boxing metaphors to describe how you've reacted with the audience? Is it, about, is it all psycho about killing and slaying? And- there is quite a, quite a bit of violent terminology used in terms of describing when gigs go well. For some reason, they seem to be, uh, you know, the, the words used like, we're killed or I slayed or, you know, I tore the roof off the place. So, uh, yeah, uh, there's a discomforting um, parallel <laughs> there. Am I? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely correct. It's always quite violent. Yeah. I think we have very little language to properly express intense emotions other than violence. Mm. That's Scorpio for you. Yeah. <laughs> and when people don't laugh, it is like being punched in the face. So it's just. It's like, yeah, it's certainly like a slap to. Well, Tom, do you like the use of uh, the photography, the cinematography's, the lens puller would have had his work cut out for him these days. It's really well filmed. It's beautiful. It was a bit Fincher-esque, I thought, actually, because we kind of descended, you know, into into greater darkness, which itself is nicely symbolic. Then as soon as you're inside, there's that shot through the, the kind of frosted glass. So you see him move into the room there. But then it does get really dark. Um, and that was, to me, very reminiscent of, of the kind of fight club basement scenes, those early, dirty, grimy um, bashing scenes. I dare, dare I say that Fincher was informed by this scene. Yeah, there's a lot of half faces as well. You, you, you're seeing a lot of profile or half lit face. Mm, until fine. Oh, no, sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself again. Oh, I just want to get to the end of this bashing so badly. Mm-hmm. Here's a quote from uh, Clint's longtime cinematographer. Black is the hardest of all tones to keep real. Black is so difficult to keep on film. Is that about light now or... or- Ethnicity, no. <laughs> um, uh, I, I quite like the cho- choice of stool that they used in the in in the scene as well to prop him up. I think that he's got a good height um, for the punch. Uh, he's he's set the level uh, correctly, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a beautiful piece of furniture as mm-hmm. well. Um, I enjoyed looking at that. No, that's a very valid point. I think that's the only thing he's brought into this abandoned space. Like he probably travels. Montague or whatever we call him travels with this chair. Yeah. This is his punching chair. <laughs> is this the sort of thing that like Heath Ledger, the Joker would do? Like, would this have been quite unprecedented in film plots that, my God, a killer, will, uh, like a criminal will go to these lengths to um, just throw the cops off? I mean, certainly Jesse Smollett would, would, would disagree. <laughs> so it's been around for a long time and he's just trying to keep it live. Um, is that too topical? I don't know. I still actually don't know how that ended up. Did he Did he beat himself up? Uh, in Batman, there's a scene where he does torment other prisoners, so they beat him. So it leads to a prison riot so he can break out. Oh, okay. So it, there is a... I, I don't think Jussie Smollett beat himself up, though. I think that's pretty... <laughs> well, yeah, I, th- I sort of think there's that coding of perversion that often happens with villains, that there is a sort of a they do the things that other people would never do, putting themselves in physical danger or reveling in harm done to themselves, which just shows how completely wrongly geared they are. Yeah. That there's 
you know, something about that that's sort of the equivalent of Nazis in uh, war films always smoking cigarettes with the wrong fingers or the wrong way around. Just shows that they're wrongins. Left you know? handers, all yeah. that. <laughs> Doing it weird and you're like, oh, there's something wrong there. That's... It's always one quirk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine you're in the cinema in 1971 watching this son of up. Like, would this be disturbing? Would this be... Would you be shocked? Oh, surely you know what's going to happen when he starts adjusting his tie, right? Or until the punch lands, are you thinking, oh, I can't... Yeah. Mm. You know, like Tom said, we, we haven't yet seen any of the Fincher stuff. We haven't seen... Yeah. Seven hasn't happened and Usual Suspects hasn't happened and all that uh, gory Netflix, you know, where we're following a, a murderer who, who keeps pieces of a human body in a basement in Montana. None of us have seen any of this, right? So this would be, you know, this would be quite groundbreaking. You know, this kind of lighting, this kind of worldview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, if you think back to, to the, the sort of sexual suggestions of this scene, the preceding scene was in a strip club. So you're already sexually charged. Like that's the vibe you've just bounced off with almost no break. I think the last thing we saw was a neon sign saying totally nude co-ed girls or college girls or something like that. So that's the last thought in our mind. And now he's going down into a basement with a guy, giving him money. The guy's being very gentle with him. And then there's that, is it ominous? Maybe it's ominous because we know what happens, but there's the shadow, the silhouette shot of him putting on the second glove. So you really don't know. And I think... Whether they're playing with the audience or not, they are absolutely geeing you up to think this is potentially going to be some sort of sexual uh, encounter. Yeah, this movie should have the award for the most number of striking hard cuts, you know. From kids, <laughs> projected pedophilia or whatever, to nude women, to S&M, you know, beating up. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much all I had for this minute, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what a minute. What a minute. Yeah. As I said, best minute, I think. Better than being punched in the face with a black glove. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's a lesson here for comedians, you know? If you have a terrible show, yeah. uh, they can take you into a room and just punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah, just and even worse, if you're really struggling, this could be your show. <laughs> <laughs> Little two-man play, two-hander. Well, many thanks for joining us, Ellis. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Yeah. I bet you didn't. No, you'd come to Melbourne for the comedy festival and you'd have to look at this. Did you enjoy Dirty Harry all in all? Uh, is it problematic? Is it watchable these days without Both. I think trigger warnings? things can be problematic and watchable at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that all art is necessarily a, a advocation of the things that are in the art. I think it's always interesting to see uh, different takes on things. And Anifab, thank you very much for joining us too. Yeah. I mean, I love going back to these 70s. I've been watching some James Coburn movies lately. In like Flynn or? Yeah. 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 Flint, sorry, Flint. I just love, and Alice and I were talking about this, I just love protagonists that are so cool that have no vulnerability. (laughs) It just feels quite funny in the modern world. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I can do a James Coburn impression, but all I can say is I'm James Coburn. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. I'm James Coburn. Hey, that's very good. That's, that's good. very good. Have you heard his bad Australian accent in The Great Escape, Tom? No, I haven't. He plays an Aussie in that. He plays an Aussie and he goes, give me my coat back, mate. Yeah. <laughs> the I'm James Coburn impression there, it serves the two functions of an impression in that it tells you who the impression is of <laughs> while being an accurate impression. So well done there. It's a magical experience. You could picture him... It's like checking in at a motel or at the doctor's surgery and, and it's, you're right there with him. Yeah. Well, my, my 
I, I have the same one. I have an impression. Uh, you can guess who it is. Um, I'm Batman. <laughs> that's my Batman impersonation. Jay- oh, I thought it was Coburn. Sorry, because it's a similar voice. But no, that's really that's good. That's more actually. Batman from Lego. Lego Batman, I think. I'm <laughs> Will aren't. Yeah. That's the James Coburn is the guy that presents that late late show in America. Is it? Yes. That's the yes. Who we're talking? Yeah, about. he does sing a uh, car karaoke. Yeah, him. Coburn, another Irish name. Well, Burn is with a Y, isn't it? Burn. Burn is. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a quite a common one. Yeah. Mm. Well, many thanks for joining us, Eleanor. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's it. We'll catch some of you next time. Thanks for joining us on Dirty Harry Minute. Minute.